0: Are you the cattle? Are you the cattle or the customer? Do you know? Are you sure? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the big banks. And I think the big banks may have just gotten the kiss of death. And then we're going to talk about bailouts, inversions, the yield curve, and the problems the Fed has created, which leads into another kind of related topic of the deposits, you know? deposits. Uh, And by the way, I want to thank Don for reviewing last week. Uh, He did a great job. I just want to recap because we do have a lot of listeners that come in. Uh, But first, let's talk about the kiss of death. So Don up there on his screen has this cover of Barron's Magazine, dated just a couple days ago, telling you to buy the big banks. It's their forecast, their stock tip of the of the year. Uh, The big banks have gotten hit, they're down low. You should feel comfortable, they're safe, they're highly capitalized. So therefore, you should buy the big banks. But what's the ulterior motive? Well, they want to make you feel safe and secure with those big banks so you don't pull your money out. The Fed doesn't want to have a run on the banks because, well, then they just have to print more fake money to stick in the banks so that the banks won't have a run which kind of hurts them because they're trying to kind of put a lid on inflation. And so right now, the Fed's got a Hobson's Choice. Do we kill inflation or we, do we give some easement and some relief to these banks from this Frankenstein that we have created, Dr. Fed? Anyway, we're going to talk about that and then um, – um, and why I was bringing that up is remember at the beginning of the year I did some we did some shows where we talked about forecasting we talked about forecasts from the Wall Street Journal from Barrons from Time Magazine oh my gosh Jeff Bezos was the Amazon was a stock to buy that was December 1999 and Amazon fell I don't know some eighty ninety percent that next year and and we just went over how badly their predictions were and how literally they are they're top ticking a lot of these stocks and sectors. So is Barons it is really with all the risk out there, do you really want to load up on big banks? Me thinks not. I don't know. Price is truth. Don will talk about that a little bit later, but man, I don't know. I'd be a little bit nervous about that. So in any event, I just want to make you aware, folks, you can't listen to the big Wall Street periodicals, you can't listen to CNBC, to Bloomberg, you guys are the product, you're the cattle, they're the roper, they're the cowboy, they're delivering you to market. You think that, I mean, it's just like the newer versions now for the younger generation, it's social media. You're being groomed, if you will, to do it, take certain actions. They want you to feel secure about the banks so that this whole thing kind of goes away. But there are still some problems with the banking system. Last week, the discount window, uh, which is where banks can borrow directly from the Fed for 30 days, they can borrow money. They borrowed over 305, some big amount. I know Don talked about it. It was double what they did in 2008 financial crisis. The FHSLC, the ones that does the SNL savings, also hit up for an extra more than last time, 2008 financial crisis. Remember, that was the end of the world. Right now, the banks have borrowed double that directly from the Fed. That's why the Fed's balance sheet has gone up by more than a trillion dollars. Okay? Now, now, in all fairness, because the banks remember 2008 and they were scared, just the fear of the run on them could cause a could cause them to borrow money just in case. Case in point, I just saw a guy, in it, he's got an office next door. He does lending. He does lending for real estate deals, people that flip houses or do rental houses. He's a hard, called a hard money lender. Anyway, he had a meeting with his bank just a couple days ago and just to find out about this stuff because a lot of people are scared. And they told him, we just tapped $2 billion directly from the Fed just to stick it in a side account just in case. We're probably going to return it in a week when this fear subsides. But right now, we took it in case we need it. So they don't need it yet, but they took it just in case. So those numbers may be pumped up. I, I'll give you that. They absolutely. It may be you know uh, you know measure twice. They're just they're just covering their own arse, if you will, and that's perfectly fine. All I'm saying is the risk is pretty high right now, very high. And liquidity events are what causes major sell-offs, not so much the inversion, the inverted yield curve. But the inverted yield curve can cause the liquidity crisis. So that's what we're walk, uh, watching for. All right. So very quickly, uh, with speaking of deposits, I want again, Don did a good job last week, but I want to do a quick drive-by, folks. There's two kinds Great of interest uh, great job, great. He, um, excuse me, Don corrected me. Don did a wonderful job, and great he's job. the most handsome guy in Florida. Ne- next yeah, to the handsome. Yeah, I got Santas. a number of uh,
1: <laughs> a number of uh, compliments. Uh, well, the number was two, and they were from my sister and my son. But that's <laughs> that, regardless. Regardless.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, so you got two kinds of of insurance, right? Let me turn my uh, speaker off real quick because I'm getting all these little. Uh, uh, tweets You're coming You're too in. popular over there. I'm too popular. I'm too popular. All right. Anyway, so what was I talking about? I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, the FDIC. So you got FDIC <laughs> and you got SIPC for brokerage accounts for investment accounts and then you've got FDIC for bank, theoretical bank accounts. Now, I don't know about your custodian, your broker dealer. They like to be called custodians now because broker has like a bad, bad, like used car salesman. But anyway, so they're broker dealers. if When, when you go uh, for the FDIC insurance, I'll tell you how Schwab does it because they do it a little differently. They're a little more conservative than most. But for the idle cash, if you have a brokerage account, the FDIC insurance covers $250,000 per person per styling of account for cash, for cash equivalent. So you got to go look up the definitions at your. Savings alone, your bank or your brokerage account, because it may vary, and I'll get into that in a second. Now, so a joint account, a husband and wife gets a two fifty each, so you got a hundred five hundred thousand dollars covered. Okay, a so if you've got a Roth and an IRA and CDs, which I don't know why you would, but if you got a Roth and IRA and a joint account. Now that person gets 250 in his Roth, 250 in his IRA, and 250 in his joint account, and his wife, respectively, would get 250 in the joint account, and then 250 on her Roth or IRA or whatever account she has. If you have a trust, same thing. Anyway, any a revocable trust. Anyway, so that's for cash. So it's 250 per account. Now SIPC securities like FDIC, but for brokerage accounts, that's 500,000 per account. Period, and for the each titling, you can't do two IRAs at Schwab and have double the coverage. So you got an IRA; it's five hundred thousand, okay, and that can be either two hundred fifty in cash, cash equivalents, or up to five hundred thousand dollars in securities. Now, the way that Schwab does their brokerages, their core cash, their idle cash that just sits there in their core, they actually have a bank sweep a bank sweep that goes to Schwab Bank. That's $250,000 for the FDIC cash, just the core cash. If you go over that, they've actually got a secondary bank they contract out with to give you another two fifty. dollars So each account really has double what the FDIC limits are because Schwab does it kind of cleverly. Now, for the remainder, because we don't want, because that only pays about 05 half a percent, but we can get short-term T-bills, which is, causing a lot of these problems right now, but we're going to take them. These short-term T-bills, whether it's an ETF, a money market, government money market, or T-bills outright, even though you and I think of short-term three-month T-bills as cash, that's technically a security. So that goes under SIPC, not the FDIC. So you'll have half a million of your account covered if something were to happen. So Schwab's brokerage accounts, you kind of have a dual coverage there. And that's why it's important. But if you're very concerned, that's why it's important to actually do cash. Cash management has now become more. People have realized that the 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 the, the curtain, the Wizard of Oz has now been revealed. And now people are realizing they've got to be more careful. And we've got to look at that. In fact, um, there's an article talking about uh, SBS, SVB collapses, a wake-up call, on cash management. But here's how you know they're still struggling. Janet Yellen did say that the they're studying, officials are studying whether the FDIC insurance can cover all deposits at mid-sized banks. So now they're, forget about the 250 limit. We're just saying the sky's the limit, baby. Hit the print button. Now, what it really comes down to, folks, it's not the mid-sized banks. They don't care about you and me. It's their big, big Hundreds of millions and multi billion dollar depositors, the, the high net worth people that they, the big banks, they really want to cover all the assets at the big banks. And that's really where they're going. So I personally think that this will get blown over for a while, but the fear can really cause a major, major sell off and in the banks. And it's just not worth it right now. Okay. So and they're also talking about changing the rules and they're increasing premium deposits for the, ba- for the bank. Now, so let me get this right. The Fed prints money that gives it to the banks and then they tell the banks, oh, by the way, some of that money we printed, give us back about 5% of that or I'm just throwing these numbers out. Five, And we're going to count that as FDIC premium and sh- premiums payments and we're going to stick it over here to bail out the banks that need bailing out. Okay. So one or two or three or four banks or even six or seven banks is. Really not smaller banks. It's not a big deal for the Fed because they can print. I hate to say that, but it's true. But if you start getting contagion and fear and that spreads, then you can have a problem. That's what they're concerned about, okay? So anyway, if you want to talk more in depth and get real deep with me, I'd love to talk about the Fed, the mechanics of the Fed, how they work. Um, but let's talk about, well, let's talk a little bit about the mechanics, the, the bailouts, the inversion, the yield curve. Okay, so here's how the Fed works. The Fed, actually, by proclamation, we did it just yesterday or two days ago, raised the rate by a quarter point. They come out, it's really not the Fed funds rate, it's a discount rate. They do that by proclamation. They say, we're raising the rates by a quarter point. All the big 12 member banks, the big, big mega banks, they've all got to follow suit and, and raise the Fed funds rate. their negotiated overnight rate by a quarter point. So it raises rates, but there's another thing they do. It's called the excess reserves of the free reserves. So the excess reserves, every bank is required to keep their reserves, say it's 4%. So if they got $100 in the bank, they need to keep 4% on deposit or $4 just to, then they want to loan out and make money on the rest. That's what the fractional banking system is. So now if more people are scared, more people than 4%, you got 15% or 10% want to take their money out. You get a run on the bank. That's. That's what they're worried about. So the the Federal Reserve has these big bond traders in New York, and they get to make money on the spread. So they don't care which way the Fed tells them to do it. They're just along. They're an insider. It's you want to be a Fed bond trader, direct bond bond trader, because you get a little bit of a. You're like a dealer. You make a little spread on every transaction, and they're not. The Fed's not going to let them lose money. So the Fed says we're going to buy bonds from you. You big New York banks, uh, traders in New York banks, give us your bonds, and here's the cash for those bonds. Now the banks are flush with money, the big, big, big member banks. Now their reserve requirements, are are, they've got a lot of excess reserves, free reserves, and so now they're trying to call all these banks, Midwest and all over the country, trying to lend money. It it eases, the supply of money is big, is a lot, therefore... Uh, supply price comes down, interest rates come down. Remember when you're talking about the supply of money, the price is the interest rate, okay? Conversely, when they want to switch it and they say, hey, we want to suck liquidity out of the market, which they don't do very often, they will say, bond traders, you're going to buy the bonds back from us. Bond traders take their money out of the member banks, give it to the Fed. The Fed gives them these bonds. Now they got bonds instead of cash. Now they're tight and it raises rates. So even when the Fed says it's raising short-term rates, if it's flooding the market with money, that kind of has an a, an offsetting effect. It greases the wheels. Now if they do if they actually pull money out of the system, that means we're damn serious about it. We're talking about raising rates and sucking money out of the economy. That's when you can have a liquidity problem. So that's why it's very important to keep an eye on that. Okay, again, if you have any questions on that, reach out to me, it does get a little complicated. But let's talk about this for Dr. F- Doctor Fed that created this Frankenstein. So they rose into short-term rates up to around four and a half percent, Moss or Meadows. So we can buy four and a half percent, three to six month treasuries. And by the way, after six months, the yield starts coming down. So short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. And in with banks, that's the opposite. Short-term are their liabilities. Those are their creditors, They, the depositors. They owe money to you and me that has $10,000 in the bank. We want interest. And so they got to pay for 4.5%. How do they do that normally? They borrow money with longer bonds because they're not really allowed to speculate with a bunch of stocks. In case the stock market crashes, they can't pay off their creditors. So normally in a normal yield curve, Longer rates are higher than shorter rates. They buy longer term bonds, make a higher interest, pay you that lower interest, and then they make money on the spread. Well, they got a double whammy this time. Four and a half percent rates and long term rates came down. They're shorter. They can't cover that difference. Not only so, on an income, on their profit and loss statement, they're getting creamed. On their balance sheet, the stocks, interest rates, bond prices move opposite of interest rates. Their bond portfolio got creamed. So now they look like they're underwater, in the red, losing money, and have a negative balance sheet potentially, depending on how many bonds they have. I'll give you case in point. Now Charles Schwab, who is actually one of the most conservative custodians out there in Wall Street, Actually has a huge bond portfolio. they're a dealer. they sell them out of inventory. They try to sell bonds to you and to me, and they make a very very small commission, but they do it a lot so they had a bit so these are available and on in accounting for custodians for broker dealers, they can call them available for sale if it's if they're in their dealer inventory like a car dealer and they're going to buy and sell these bonds and make a little spread, they're not matching a buying willing buying and seller where they're a broker. They're acting as the dealer, right? Now, when they when they when they are doing that, they they are they, they they have to carry them at fair market value on their balance on their balance sheet. Just like a a a company that's selling shirts or product, you know, retail stuff, they carry that inventory what they think the value is if they're selling it very quickly, right? Because the cost and value is the same if they're doing it very quickly. Anyway. Their bond portfolio that they had lost, what was it, Don, $22 22 or $23 billion. And so now they have this huge loss. And if they've got to do it mark to market, they got to set it to the fair market value. They got a huge loss, massive loss. So what did they do? They moved it from available for sale in their trading account to buy and hold, long-term buy and hold, long-term hold. So now they can go back and reverse it and carry it at book value, what they paid for it, not the fair market. So they bought it at 100 and I'm just using round number, bought it at $1,000 a bond. Now it's at $700 a bond. They got a $300, 30% loss. But you know what? We're going to change the way we account for it with accounting. And it's, this is acceptable according to GAAP, generally accepted accounting rules. Now we just kind of erase that loss because it's unrealized. Not realized. And remember, I've told you all along, what's the difference between a realized loss and an unrealized loss? Nothing. An unrealized, a realized loss is when your wife finds out about it or your spouse finds out about it. It's a loss the moment it went down. Period. It's real, the only thing difference between an unrealized and a realized is how you pay for it with capital gains. I mean, how, what tax rate you're going to pay. Now, going back to this, here's the problem this Frankenstein that they've created. Now that, quote, risk-free short-term government bonds paying three to 6% is paying four and a half percent, people that are looking for income and want safety and after this market are pretty damn scared, they're going into these T, but we're doing it for our idle cash right now. We're defensive, I'll let Don talk about that in a minute because we're so defensive. We're not all in because the markets are acting very tough right now, We've got 40% in T-bills making the 4.5%. But here's the thing. If you're a company, if you've got corporate investment-grade bonds, why is a company, why is uh, some a blue-haired widow going to buy your uh, investment-grade bond that used to just was a high yield at 3% a few years ago when interest rates were at zero? Now, 4.5%, they'll buy the treasury. They're not going to buy your bond. It's forcing you to raise your yield up to 6 or 7%. And for high yield, it's going to be even higher. So now you're pushing, and I'm talking about the best of the best, like the, you're pushing yields, forcing companies to pay up to attract money. Because if I can get a four and a half theoretically risk-free, why do I want to do something different if I'm just looking for income? So it's, it's, it's crowding out the private sector. You're making the cost of capital go up 30 40% for these businesses. And here's another thing that a lot of people are talking about. These companies have bonds, a bond portfolio, when interest rates were free or zero or half a percent or one or two percent, they loaded up on bonds. Remember 2008, we were supposed to deleverage and the Fed took all these bad debt, and took it on their balance sheet. Now all these companies have a lot of debt. When they roll the debt forward, they're going to have to refinance at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 percent, depending on their credit quality. Not three, four, five, six, seven. It's going to shift the whole thing. That's going to hit their earnings and their profits. That's the problem this inverted yield curve has had, and that's the liquidity problem it's had. Number one, it scared people, and they want to pull money out of the banks. That's a little bit of liquidity. Number two, now it's hard for these corporate different sectors to borrow money at reasonable rates, and it's choking them off. It's hurting the economy. The market could be reflecting that all right, so with that said, with that said, and by the way, sorry, I did not do the mailbag this week. I just got back from spring break. the guys covered for me last week. I had a wonderful time. Thank you very much. I just didn't and been catching up uh, next week. We will have it if you 've got any questions or comments or articles you want to talk about, then go ahead and send them to me. but right now let 's go to the straight to Don and the Revere team and. So Don, you got any comments on that or market reaction to that? or?
1: Uh, no, I think uh, it's a good rehash of everything we've been talking about and um, what good is going to come of it. Uh, it's a, The word that I used last week was confidence. And so far, Yellen and Powell have not been able to inject any confidence into the market. She flip-flopped. Uh, over the last two days, Wednesday, while Powell was talking uh, and he said depositors should not worry about their funds. He didn't come out and say that they had a program to backstop it. He just kept saying depositors should not worry about their funds. At the same time, she was testifying to Congress saying that we have no additional plans to uh, backstop deposits. And then she saw the reaction that the market had. And then yesterday, Thursday, uh, afternoon, she said, we're evaluating uh, <laughs> options in case we would need to uh, guarantee more deposits. So and then supposedly this morning, she convened an emergency meeting of the Financial Stability Council and they're they're discussing it. Basically, it's dumb that they haven't uh, just said, okay, we'll cover a million dollars. Now, the point that you made was that really, it's the big dollar companies that are concerned. And that's true it's the confidence of Main Street that they have to uh, worry the most about. And if they just said, we'll backstop to a million dollars, most of Main Street doesn't have a million dollars sitting in their checking account, Uh, but it's a confidence level that's way above and beyond and would stop bank uh, bank runs. So yeah, everybody knows that a lot of banks are in the same uh, problem right now with these long dated, uh, bonds that are nowhere near worth their face value, but if they hold them to maturity, they'll get it. It's just that short-term interest rates now are paying so much better that the the valuation of, uh, the value of those has gone way down, but uh, they need to do something to shore up the confidence of Main Street. And so far uh, they've come up empty. I mean, it really seems like a simple solution. You raise uh, the FDIC minimum and you charge the bank, the bank will pass it on to the customer. And the customer is paying a little bit more. Uh, it, it's no different than PMI insurance that you pay on your house. The bank wants that confidence, and, and to if you're if you had to uh, foreclose your house and the value of it was down that they wouldn't get their money. It's something that you pay for for the privilege of having the mortgage and and the small amount of equity. So uh, it seems like a simple solution. You charge the banks, the banks pay it on to the depositors. The depositors have the option of either paying it or moving their money into something else. And if they move their money into something else, then that solves the problem. If they pay it, that also solves the problem. It's just dumb that they haven't been able to come up with something uh, so simple.
0: Hey, but real quick, real quick, I do want to comment because you made a great point right there that I, I don't want it to go. I want to make sure everybody caught that. So Don's right. They they really care about the big, big, the, the hundreds of millions of billionaires, the big, big money. But it really, the thing that's going to cause the problem is the smaller retail investors. Because look, the Apple and the companies that have uh, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, they can't split it out between 8,500 banks. They can't split it out. between So they're going to have three or four big main core banks. That's just the way they have to operate. But the retail investor, even though they... They don't, it doesn't really, they don't really care about that as much. It's all those retail scared investors that are gonna be pulling their money out because of fear that can cause the liquidity. Apple can't just pull out a trillion dollars and just stick it under a mattress. They can't. They're gonna, it's not, you're not gonna get the run created by the big institutions. Where you're gonna get the run is the fear from the retail investors. So Don's right. They're trying to quell the fear of the retail investor. Sorry, Don, I just wanted to make make sure that
1: Yeah, well, they're not trying to, and that's the problem. Well, yeah,
0: I didn't say they were doing a good job.
1: <laughs> yeah, all right. So let's go uh let's go right to Ted. He's going to talk about uh breadth and sentiment. Uh Ted, I'm going to bring up this sentiment uh <laughs> chart first. Very interesting. Okay. Uh we sentiment a contrary indicator when Uh, Anybody has money in the market or is looking to get money in the market actually has sentiment on their side now. Can you explain that? Yeah,
2: so if you take a look at this chart, the historical averages, um, bullish sentiment is 37.5% and bearish is 31%. In the last four weeks, and probably more extending back if we were to look at more data, we've been deep in the bearish sentiment um, level. So the more we stay down here, the more people are tipping over to one side of the boat, and that usually often warrants for an opposite reaction. However, like, like we've been sitting in, um, oversold can stay oversold, or bearishness can stay overly bearish. Um, but so the most important thing is just to take it day by day. Um, so yeah, we continue to watch this, and we want to start to take a contrarian approach when market confirms
1: um, our thesis. Let's take a let's take I a look at you... this here. This Ted, real quick, let's look at this. The one-year bearish high 60% the end of September 2022. Let's go to the S&P 100 the end of September 2022 right here. We were 2 weeks away from the lows. So sentiment as low as it was, 2 weeks later we had the washout uh, and that started this next leg up that put in the bottom on the market right now. So uh it is definitely something to pay attention to, but we certainly can go lower on the bearish side. Okay, go ahead uh, to the breadth or fear. What do you want to do next?
2: Yeah, actually, go. Yeah, going off your um, top, your discussion right there, I think the fear and greed index that chart would fit the best now, because <clears throat> if you look at the if you look at the line, we actually retested October lows, and price has held higher and the s&p 500 and nasdaq have held above their december lows so that's a divergence that uh we are watching and we'll see how it plays out but of course if banks have more liquidity problems and people start just like losing confidence in the system then we could definitely go lower um and then so now i guess you pull up the net highs and lows and so since last time uh, i was the- on there hasn't been yeah, here's
1: New York highs and lows.
2: Yeah, so since last time I've been on, I also had spring break last week, there hasn't really been significant improvement in breadth, primarily due to the bank failures and severe weakness in financials, and then coupled with Yellen and Powell's inability to instill confidence in investors this week. Um, that being said, um, looking at this chart, it looked like we were contracting in net lows, but then after FOMC, they're they're, they're trickling back into the markets. As investors do not have much confidence in the entire situation, uncertainty revolving around the banks. Um, Nasdaq, pretty much same thing. Net lows um, contracted last week, heading to this week, but now are expanding again. And until we really get massive net highs, like four or five hundred plus, on a on a strong green day in the markets, we can't really say well we're in a healthy market at all. Um, so the next couple of charts I wanna take a look at is the S&P 500 and NASDAQ, percent of stocks above the 200-day moving an average. And like usual, that's a good gauge of stock participation. And both of these metrics are below 50%, which just indicate a weak market in terms of stock participation. So high cash levels or tactical shorting is warranted. Um, and then finally, the NASDAQ is another indicator we look at it's often a pretty good indicator at determining market turns and you can see the line is just in a red and it's it's just buried deep in a downtrend the rsi however um is deep in oversold territory but if you look to the left we can stay there for a while so we want to see some divergences um take place and see it hook up <laughs> this,
1: I, is, this is this is the one uh the one indicator that i track every night in the tail of the tape this is extremely important and very reliable uh for looking at bottoms and tops in the market where i'm a big yeah. fan of this one
2: yeah and that's it on breath this week
1: all right all right ted, ted thanks very much
3: oh that's okay i was so confused over here like, where is that sound coming from the soundboard out. you're the producer aren't you doing that, well, Zach? that you can imagine
0: my surprise uh, yeah, when i hear yeah. weird things
1: <laughs> yeah. uh next up let's go to michael for his segment what do you got for us uh this week mike
4: all right good morning guys um so this week uh while, while we've been talking about the fed i just wanted to um to take this opportunity to kind of just explain things in just to help people understand sort of what's going on and and how things currently work because most of the time i mean throughout throughout my short career and from what i've heard uh from people that have had much longer careers than myself in markets uh most of the time the market doesn't really care about the fed and the fomc it's not really a big factor they're just kind of doing their thing they have meetings every so often and the market doesn't really pay attention but really since uh it's since after COVID, um, the Fed's been the most important fundamental driver of markets. So while that's the case, it's important to understand um, sort of what's going on with the Fed and what they're thinking. And um, just just to like briefly explain something, uh, the, the FOMC, it stands for Federal Open Market Committee. And they just had a meeting this week and they consist of 12 voting members. And every, every three months, so uh, four times a year, every quarter, um, they released something called the Summary of Economic Projections. And what the, SC, it's, uh, the acronym is the SEP, and financial markets uh, love to use acronyms. Um, and it represents all of the FOMC participants' projections for four key economic indi- indicators, which are GDP growth, unemployment rate, PCE inflation, and core PCE. And then they project their uh, federal funds rate target. And examining this uh, Summary of Economic Projections, Allows market participants to kind of see what the Fed is thinking because at this point, all that matters is what the Fed is thinking, and the market is responding to that. So, just to quickly go over um, this this recent SCP um, in terms of real GDP, um, they had initially in the last SCP projected a zero point five growth and now they're projecting 0.4 so gdp coming down lower and then for 2024 they actually dropped it to 1.2 versus 1.6 so they're they're projecting uh, gdp is going to be uh growing at a slower pace and they also pal said that um that most participants actually see the risks uh weighted to the downside so even slower growth um unemployment rate this is really interesting um Back in the December projection, they had a 4.6% unemployment rate. Now they have it at 4.5, so that's, that's unchanged really. And the current unemployment rate is 3.6%. Um, so it's projected to go from 3.6% to 4.5% in the next nine months. And the problem with that is that research, um, research shows that when the unemployment rate increases by 1%, It doesn't just stop there it it, it tends to really accelerate from that point and um in the congressional and the senate hearings uh when when Powell was testifying they asked him a lot about that um about the unemployment how that's going to affect main street and he kind of avoided the question or didn't really avoid it but just said look we got to do our job and it is what it is and it's it's not very politically popular um to to have increasing unemployment but it, it it looks like uh they think there's nothing they can do about that and and there are concerns that if we do get up to 4.5 percent in employment it's 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 not just going to stop there um and then lastly um in terms of pce inflation which is um uh the 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 way that um that the fed measures inflation over cpi the pce is their preferred measure of inflation um <laughs> Headline and core are a little higher than the December projection. And um, Powell actually noted that recent indicators of inflation have, have grown stronger. And I, I've been seeing a lot of reports, a lot of people have been saying, oh, the inflation's coming down, it doesn't matter. Um, the Fed shouldn't be hiking, uh, they, they've got it under control. But all that matters really is is what the Fed's saying and how they're thinking. And if they're saying that Inflation's growing stronger and it's not under control. Then we we really need to go with what they're saying, and um, and then last thing, um, what he said too is that um, with this whole banking situation, um, they're expecting that credit standards will tighten and there will be less available credit. Um, so in that case, they're they're thinking that this this credit tightening could actually um, serve as as a um, interest rate hike. It can serve a similar purpose it'll tighten financial conditions so um they may pause they may not have to keep increasing rates but that'll be because um credit standards have tightened so either way that that's that's pretty negative um and with inflation above the longer run goal they they they're projecting in the dot plot um, which is where they project the fed funds rate in the future um they're projecting 5.1 percent for for this entire year and and pal said many times that the base case is not um, a rate cut, so it is important to to think about and and to understand what the what the Fed is doing. And until things change there, um, it's going to be tough conditions. So so we just got to monitor that and and see how things uh, develop.
1: So that terminal rate that you mentioned that uh, of five point one that that implies one more twenty five basis point raise, uh, but right now. of no raise is what's being priced into the Fed Fund futures market. That's what I have on my screen right now. And that's for the May 23rd meeting. When you go to the June 14th meeting, uh, it's actually 50-50 between a 25 basis point cut and no change <laughs> uh, if you go out to july it's uh leaning more it, same situation and you're actually got a 10 percent of a 50 point basis kite uh point height uh, cut God. so yeah. the what the what the fed fund futures are saying and what Powell been saying he said no cuts that was one of the reasons that the market sold off as hard as it did wednesday afternoon Uh, but the, the, the financial markets are disagreeing with him and they, they have a tendency of winning, uh, winning that type of argument. So, uh, his point is that Volcker, go ahead.
4: Yeah. I was just gonna say the, the only thing with those, with those projections is that, I mean, we, we have seen a lot of volatility and flip-flopping with that before this last FOMC meeting, um, to just two weeks ago, the market was pricing in like an 88% probability of actually a 50 uh, basis point hike in this meeting, and then they switched to uh, to no hike, and then they switched to a 25 basis point hike. So we'll see as it gets closer. But I, there's just been, and if you look at um, like something called C vol, which is the uh, the the volatility of um, of of uh, interest rates. And treasuries it, it, we're at an extremely elevated there there's so much volatility in the in the credit markets right now, so there's still it's very uncertain
1: very much so um, well a lot ha- lot to play out uh, across the rest of this year. All right, thanks, Mike. appreciate it very much. Next up, we've got Connor on deck. Connor, what are you going to talk yeah. about this week?
3: Yeah, so uh today I just wanted to bring up some of uh, we've been seeing quite a few earning gap earnings gaps and they've been acting uh really well. So I just wanted to mention a few and talk about it a little bit. Um if you've been watching Don's nightly videos, you know we're using that ticker monkey uh earnings gap study. So this will help a lot because it will give us, you know, statistics to trade around these, but I think it's been a character change to see over 10-15 stocks that have been uh showing just textbook earnings gap up action um so yeah O'N Owen O'N's a great example from this week it it broke out on an earnings release positive surprise this name was kind of you know more under the radar and when a name surprises and uh people start raising their eye they're they're gonna buy it and you can see that just in the volume. Um, I mean, it was trade at, trading, I think, over a thousand above average volume on that day. And it's doing exactly what you want um, from a stock gapping up on earnings. It's just first day higher, and then um, second day it broke above that first day pivot high, and it's continue, continuing to act well. Um, something that we would not see last year, and that was very rare to see. So you can look at it as very positive as well, because it could be showing people, you know, um, are, are wanting to buy these type of moves more than they have previously. Um, another one is NVIDIA. This is just a super liquid name that gapped up on earnings and really has just gone higher uh, the whole year. Um, a couple retests of the eight and 21 EMA, but it's just been moving higher. and. These can just be fantastic trades because they give you uh, super good levels to risk off on and that's how you can manage your position well. And then the last one is ELF. E-L-F. Similar one with this one, just really good action. I mean, it gapped up on earnings on huge volume and it's been trending higher ever since. Um, There's a ton more. These are just three that I wanted to mention, but there's so many more. And I mean, if you're interested, you can give me an email and I can send you my list, but there, yeah, this is just a huge character change to see, to be seeing this. And with that being said, you do need to have the market behind your back for these to work most of the time, but some are just kind of bucking the trend and beating to their own drum.
1: All right. Thanks very much. And, uh, Power Earnings Gaps, PEG, is something we pay a lot of attention to. Uh, They very frequently kick off massive runs in leading stocks. Uh, The poster boy for this is uh, Facebook back in July 2013. They were just a so-so IPO at that point, um, gaining popularity with uh, Housewives. But then they figured out how to monetize their mobile app. Had a huge gap up on massive volume and sent off, uh, kicked off a multi-year, uh, multi-hundred percent massive run. And uh, basically, there's a template that that is established for these. And there are different signposts that you look for in that template. And we're applying those rules to uh, various charts, various earnings gaps when they happen watch them for the signpost. And if they some of them don't work. A a very classic case of one that didn't work was one we got in. Uh, Airbnb had a second day high, but then it broke on the fourth day, broke below the low of the gap up day. That just shouldn't happen. It did happen. And that tells you uh, you can be out with a minimal loss if it violates the rules. And um, so far, ONON is uh, a textbook example of this. And if you're interested in... uh, Ha- uh, TickerMonkey has released some pre-materials to people that have signed up. Uh, go on Twitter, at TCMLLC. That's Jason Thompson uh, with TickerMonkey, and he will uh, help get you signed up for this webinar. It's not cheap, but anything good isn't, isn't cheap. And uh, you could literally pay for the entire webinar with one trade uh, if you get into one of these power earnings gaps that... Um, Uh, that that checks all the boxes and acts the way historical power earnings gaps tend to act so let's uh let's wrap now now, hang on uh, don don Don. so
0: that's yeah that's how it's supposed to be versus the other one that didn't didn't work out and you sold it for small law got it i just want to clarify right got it
1: right yeah they don't always work there's no guarantees um uh, but when it does work, you let the price do what it's going to do. Uh, there's a complete checklist to compare the action versus what you've seen uh, from historical uh, big winners. And um, it, it's, just a, it's just a method to follow. So let's go to uh, what's going on with the markets uh, right now. And we'll go to a 60-minute chart of the S&P 500. Well, it probably shows better on a five-minute chart. So uh, Jerome Powell... You can see uh, all the volatility after 2 p.m. on Wednesday with the FOMC. We went up, down, up, down, and then a big down. This corresponded with his no interest rate cuts and Yellen saying we're not going to guarantee deposits. Uh, The next day, things settled a little bit. We got off to a nice rally, uh, but all that did is uh, suck some late uh, bulls in. We rolled over, went lower, and then this volatility here was Yellen Uh, Again, uh, talking to Congress and saying, well, uh, this big spike here was her saying, well, we will consider guaranteeing some deposits. We had four 1% uh, moves up and down within the last two hours of uh, Thursday's market. And the market's acting like a casino when that happens. And we locked in some profits on uh, some things that we had, reduced our exposure. Uh, We've got the lightest exposure we've had in a while. Uh, We're still in some very good stocks that are acting very well. Uh, Today, what has been leading is semiconductors and tech. They're taking a little bit of a break today as they've been extended. Uh, The SOX down 2.5% today. All that means is it's sitting basically right at its ADMA, uh, but it was due for a pullback. And Note a failed breakout the the last two days uh, of making a higher high above this 438 level. Uh, When we did the second breakdown of that yesterday, that's when we took our SOX L long off. uh, And we'll just manage the positions that we have now while uh, the market sorts out what's going on with the banks. KRE is actually up today. This is uh, the regional bank ETF. Uh, But looking at that, back to that buy the big banks that uh, Barron said, let's take a look at some of these big banks. Here's (laughs) Bank of America. Uh, making a a new correction low today. Here's JP Morgan, making a new correction low today, breaking below its 200-day moving average. Here's Morgan Stanley, making a new low today. Here's Wells Fargo, making a new low today. So thanks a lot, Barron's, with your, once again, poorly timed uh, cover story. Uh, So right now, Dan, we're looking for this banking crisis to try to settle itself. Uh, it's not being reflected in uh, certainly the charts of small caps, which made more recent lows today off the bottom. But uh, we need to put in a bottom form, some kind of a bottoming base similar to what we saw here at the end of December. Let's just stop going down for now before we can try to make higher highs. Uh, but again, today we made a lower low. And uh, to us, the, markets, being below the, the markets. Day, yeah, to uh, to the markets being below... Uh, The 200-day moving average on the S&P 500, we all know how I feel about that. That's the dividing line between uh, a healthy market and an unhealthy market. Of course, there are shades of gray uh, in between there. The NASDAQ 100 is representing the healthy side of the market right now. Uh, But that's uh, counterbalanced by how terrible the banks are acting (laughs) uh, and gold and gold stocks Uh, are certainly acting, uh, continuing to act well as people look for safety for return of their money as opposed to return on their money. Here's TLT, the long bond, uh, working at uh, making recent three-week highs today. And again, this is money flowing into the safety of bonds out of the uh, questionable equity markets, especially uh, with the financial system. But um, if too much pain happens, uh, I expect action from the administration, from the Fed, from Janet Yellen, and uh, that'll hopefully try to soothe the markets. But the latest Thursday night overnight news was Deutsche Bank uh, credit default swaps. The price of these surged overnight. Deutsche Bank down 5.2% today. So this has uh, made new, low, new banking crisis lows uh, also. So this is uh, over 30% off of its recent highs. And uh, of course we got Credit Suisse, which was bought out by UPS, UBS, uh, still trading, but they have agreed, they haven't closed the merger yet. Uh, but uh, what we're looking at right now is for some uh, stability in the uh, the banks, small caps, mid caps, uh, and um, we'll go from there. We'll take our cues from the market. And for now, uh, the market's trading more like a casino than a place where you wanna invest your money.
0: All right, Don. That's it for
1: this week on the markets. Yep.
0: All right, Don. Thanks a lot. Listen, folks, um, here's the bottom line. The markets actually were firming up and starting to look better this year. They were actually acting better. And then all of a sudden you had this liquidity, banking liquidity crisis, whatever you want to call it. Now, it, here's, the, here's the bottom line. If it, gets acu- if it gets more acute, if it gets worse and people get fearful... They will act, look, a lot of our research centers around the, what the investors are doing, the buying and selling, the buying strength and selling pressure, the, the, the strength of, 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 you know, the, the supply and demand of stocks, not so much the fundamentals. And right now, if you get a liquidity crisis, if this gets acute, you could see a much bigger seller. You could see the market go down another 10, 20, 30%. Don't think it can't. You've got to keep your mind supple enough that the market could go up 30% or down 30%. Period. If you're not, you're not flexible enough. Look, I'm from what I see, I'm kind of fundamentally kind of bearish because there's a lot of stupid policy, stupid things going on right now. But I'm supple enough to know the market could rally 20% in three weeks if the Fed takes his foot off the Fed takes their foot off the throat of the economy and says, okay, we're going to pause or stop. If they get a hint that they're easing. So, credit liquidity crisis, market in big trouble. But if we get past this by a week or two, we just get past this, and it looks like the liquidity fears are subsiding, and it looks like the Fed might be easing. You could get a seriously strong rally, seriously strong market. Don't get married to your to your uh, thesis. Have a thesis. And then see if it's confirmed by price. Price is truth. When it's time to buy, it won't feel right. You're going to feel scared. And if you don't have some kind of rule, and it makes it easier, if you you know you've got a rule to sell with a small loss, you're not going to write it down huge, it makes it a lot easier to get in. So you might have a few false starts. But once you get in on a sustained rally, all those little nicks are, are going to be fine. Right now, we're very tactical. we got 40% T-bills, just a few individual stocks. Our beta is what, Don? Point, point,
1: 0.45.
0: 0.45. So we got less 0.45. than half risk in the market, and it's and it's leaning toward NASDAQ stocks because the S&P stocks are not doing well. This is what active management does. I, look, I, if you have a pie, diversified pie chart that's supposed to keep you out of harm's way, all those correlations don't go to grow together, and they all go down together, albeit at different rates during major market sell-offs. So, having those pie charts or owning the S and P is like having a car with no brakes. They never get to fit, They never adjust how much cash or things that can't go down in the portfolio. It's you got to keep that ratio. Anyway, folks, listen. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just send them to Revere. Asset.com up in the top right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button. You can hit subscribe. Just put your name and email address in there. We won't reach out. We're not going to bug you. You'll get our our daily market insight video that Don does every evening the markets open. Little 10, 15 minute video talking about the short-term, mid-term, long-term state of the markets where we think the indices are in time and space. And then what actual moves we did in the shop We're the most transparent, advisor, fiduciary advisor out there that I'm aware of. I don't know that other fiduciaries that literally send you a video every night of what we're doing. Okay. Then next to that, there's a, uh, contact us button and you can hit that and you can put in a question and it comes straight to me and you can have a topic. You can say, Hey, here's my cell. Call, give me a call. I want a complimentary portfolio review, or I just want some idea. Give me, what do you think about this stock? Whatever you want. Okay, But again, we won't spam or reach out to you. We grow organically, and this is how we've been doing it. You can email any of us, dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, michael at revereasset.com, ted or connor at revereasset.com. And you can always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Have a good weekend, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week on Your Money.
1: Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep.